I, it might be a bad thing for the guys who aren't here. Um, start off with introductions. My name is Jason Jacobs. I come from Richmond. It was a really long drive last night. It's two hours, in case you don't know. Um, and this is. And you are here because I was asked, and then I asked Matt, to tell you how to be godly men. And it's uh, a pretty daunting task because, first of all, I don't feel particularly qualified. Matt, I think, feels the same way. However, through, through the leading from the Holy Spirit and what we found in Scripture, hopefully I can bring some stuff to you guys to help you, I guess, in your walk. Those of you who know Christ now, to help you grow stronger, and those of you who don't know Christ to um, kind of know where you might want to be headed. I want to start off by saying that this forum, the material that you're going to hear today, um, if you think that you don't need to listen because you're not a believer, forget that. You still need to listen. Um, when you walk through that door, I don't want to say it badly, but I, I stopped really caring at that point whether or not you were a believer. Not for your own sake, but for the material that I'm covering. Because it applies to everybody. So, if you're here and you think you don't need to listen, forget that and keep listening. Um, and I already mentioned the first disclaimer. No, I didn't. I'll say it now. Without Christ, though, having said what I just said, without Christ, you cannot be a real man. And I'm going to describe it to you this way. If God created you in His image, He made you a male. But God did not make you a man. With God being your Creator, I believe you have to have Christ leading your life in order for you to be a real man. Um, and I mentioned the second one that Matt and I have not fully attained the level that we wanted to. I also want to say one more thing before we have a prayer. That the verses that we have, they're not out of context, but there's much more context surrounding them that I think is important. I had a hard time figuring out what parts of the verse or the, the chapter to put down. So I just want to encourage you to go back. Every verse that you have that we're going to talk about is in your packet. So I just want to encourage you to go back when you're home, maybe some devotion time, to check out these verses and the surrounding context and find out the, the rest of the meaning. Before we get any further, I think it's only appropriate that we, we have a word of prayer. So let's pray. Our Lord God, we thank You for this week at camp. We thank You for everything that You've taught us. The places that You've brought us, Lord... Um, the messages that we've heard, the songs that we've heard, the fellowship we've had, we just we ask that you would burn that into our hearts and our minds so that we would not forget it. Lord, I pray that as Matt and I would present these things to these guys, that your spirit would be here, that you would be our lead and our guide, that you would touch each one here in a way that that, that young man needs to be touched, and that no one would leave from this place the same as when they came in. Lord, we ask that you'd be in our discussion and in our thoughts. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Okay, it is the last day of camp. You've all been here for a long time. You've heard a lot of things. You just heard three choir programs in a row. So I figure you probably have heard a lot this week and are getting kind of bored of hearing things. I'm going to try and be as um, interesting as possible um, this, this morning with you guys. Uh, before we talk about being a man of God or what it takes to be a godly man, we should talk about manhood in general. And it's interesting to see how the role of man has changed over time. So we have man, man in prehistory. What was his, what was his role? What was this guy supposed to do? Okay, kill things and eat it. What else? Not too much. Kill things, eat it, drag his woman off to his cave. That's really about it. His role was pretty much set and it was understandable. What about Man in 1952, what was his role in society, in family, in anything? Worked for the family. Okay, worked for the family. What else? Okay. What was that? Why do you say that? Okay, he could have been a gangster. What else do we have? <laughs> Not sure. Uh, Mr. Cleaver was a gangster, but it is possible. What else? What other roles? Yep. Okay, definitely head of the house, probably only income winner. What else do we have? Okay, father, husband, role model. Okay, I think it was pretty clear what his job was. You know, he made the money, the wife and kids came to him for advice. He was a man of the house. Hmm? Okay. Tell his kids about God. Exactly. So his roles are pretty standard, pretty established. Man today, modern man, what is his role? How do you say that? Or why do you say that? Okay, probably working too much. What else? Okay, why do you say that or expand on that? Okay, why is that, do you think? Why does it seem like today is different from 1952? Mm -hmm. Okay, they're more distracted by work. What were you saying? Okay, women are working, women are more educated. Women's lib has also had effect on that. <laughs> Women can do anything a man can do, and so it kind of confuses us as to what we're supposed to do anymore. 1950 was pretty well established. You made the money, you led the house. Now, you know, my wife is working as well. Many wives are working these days. Many wives are as educated or more educated than their husbands are. So it's kind of throwing us off as to what it means to be a modern man. Are there any other, any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, like the media, I know like, a lot of shows like displays man as kind of being like the, the fool, you know, like the, the dumb one, mm -hmm. and uh, he's not the one that's that's uh, taking the leadership role anymore. Like he's just kind of being the 
Okay, if you think of sitcoms today, what, are there any examples of a man that's actually being a man, or isn't the bumbling slob with a beautiful wife? I mean, what sitcoms are there with men being men? Or any TV shows? How so? <laughs> how is that, how is he being a man in that role? Okay. All right, what else? I mean, are there any? You know, back in the 50s, every sitcom had the father that knows best, father that knew everything, wife adored him. Yeah. Okay, and that's not on anymore, so. If you want to Well, all right. <laughs> Network television prime time, there aren't too many good examples of what true men should be. And that's what we're talking about today, is how to be a real man, how to be a godly man. What are some stereotypes? Before we get into being a godly man, what are some stereotypes of what the real man is in the world? We have some up there. What are some other ones? To be a man in this world, when you think of just being a man, what's your image? What do you think? Okay. short list up here, doesn't share his emotions, is good at sports, drives a nice car. That's the one up there. This is a 96 Hyundai Accent, and this is the car that I drive. The reason I drive this car is uh, when I got married, I had the newer car that was safer and more reliable. This was, unfortunately, my wife's car, and so the choice was have her in the unsafe car or give her my car. And so after a long time, <laughs> it was a hard decision to make, but I am now driving around the purple Hyundai. And it's difficult, and it still can be embarrassing, driving through school in my little purple car. But, um, you know, that's the worldly perception of manhood. You have to have the nice, fast car. Obviously, I do not, but my manhood is determined by how I'm serving God, not by the car I'm driving. Next picture. We have a few more here. Doesn't ask for directions. Order steak instead of salad. Uh, what else do we have? Has a muscular physique. So we see there are all kinds of different stereotypes for men. So <laughs> is that what a man should be? <laughs> and, you know, it looks absolutely ridiculous. But I think sometimes we kind of have that image of what a man is supposed to be. Or at least I know I do. Not to that extreme, but. I obviously don't have that many muscles, and so I just think it should be my goal to look a little bit more like this guy. No, it does. It does. <laughs> first half. So let's read First Timothy 4.8 since we brought that up. Sorry. It's okay. And that is, for bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. And so we see, you know, not that you don't have to exercise, you shouldn't be in shape, you shouldn't, you know, take care of your body, but the goal isn't large muscles. The goal isn't to look like a man like that, or at least something realistic that a guy is muscular. Point is more to be 
working out for the Lord and really focusing on your spiritual strength and your spiritual abilities. Now, has anybody heard about a survey that was taken this week? Okay, what have you, what have you heard? Do you know what it's about? I just heard that the girls took their survey. Oh, you did? Okay, it was a different survey. We gave a survey to all the girls here at camp, ages 13 to about 25, and we asked them for their perception of manhood. We asked them questions about what it means to be a man and what they value in a man. And so before we get into those results, does this seem like interesting information? Do you guys care about what the girls think about manhood? Okay, who here likes girls? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All hands up. <laughs> so, it's well established, we all like girls. It's good to know what they think about manhood because in some ways, they have a better perception of what manhood is than we actually do until we study God's word. And so I'll get through some of the questions with you. I want you to see if you guys would have come up with the same answers that they did. It is important that a man spends his money wisely. Do you think the, agrees agreed, the girls agreed with that? Someone agreed with that? Someone disagreed or disagreed altogether? Mm -hmm. It depends on uh, if the girls consider wisely. If wisely is spending it on them, uh -huh. then obviously they mean spending wisely. Okay. <laughs> Should we mention that this is being recorded? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, watch your words, guys. It's being recorded. People can hear this. But the second question, which is related to that, is it important that a man is wealthy? Do you think the girls agree with that or disagreed with that? I think they're going to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's possible. But 84% didn't think it was important that a man was wealthy. What? How much? 84%. So, <laughs> well, that's what they say. And hopefully that's what they mean. But the point is, God says that too. It's not important if you're wealthy. It's what you do with what he has given you. It is important that a man drives an expensive car. It is important that a man drives an expensive car. Okay, they disagree with that as well. 82%, I believe. Is it important that a man is able to express his emotions? All right. But only 62% said that. So... <laughs> Interesting. Now, they agree that's important. Then we ask them, do most of the men their age in the ACC express their emotions? What do you think they said? No. Okay. So they think it's important, but you guys aren't doing it, apparently. So show your emotions. Uh, the percentage of that one was about 74% disagreed with the fact that you guys share your emotions. So we'll work on that. Most men your age value your spiritual comments or insights. And so we asked the girls if they felt like you guys respected them and valued what they had to say in terms of spiritual discussions or comments. <laughs> About 50% agreed with that. So, <laughs> um, either they're not making very good comments or you guys aren't respecting them enough. So there's probably a balance in there somewhere. Now this is interesting. <laughs> Next question, 
Men your age have a proper respect for their mothers. They agreed, and I was actually pretty impressed by that. It was 73% thought you guys respected your mothers. So it's not bad. I thought the numbers would be pretty much lower, but in fact, you guys are doing a good job with your mothers. Most men your age are spiritually mature or striving for maturity. 70% disagreed with that statement. So <laughs> they're not impressed. <laughs> Positive note, most men your age are polite. <laughs> Shocking as it is, 75% agree with that statement. So, you got them all fooled, apparently. Or they haven't met JC. <laughs> most men your age are reckless drivers. <laughs> the ones that could drive. The girls 16 and under didn't answer that question because hopefully they aren't driving if they're under the legal age, but what do you think they said for that? Yeah. About 50% said you're reckless drivers, so take that for what you will. Most men your age take on leadership roles in the church. 70% disagreed with that. Now, there are cases where it's not necessarily possible for you to always be taking on a leadership role in the church, and you can't always be a minister or youth group chairman or, you know, whatever the leadership positions are. But still, that's a pretty large number of saying, you know, the guys that I know really aren't taking spiritual initiative in the church or in the youth group. And then finally, most men your age are a spiritual leader among their friends. Okay, about 60% disagreed with that statement. So in their eyes, not only are you not really taking initiative in church, among your friends, you're not really being a spiritual leader or example either. And again, there, you know, this isn't completely gospel truth. It's just a survey that the girls filled out. But it's still interesting to know what they think. And there are some things that we should probably work on. 68 girls were, were polled for this. So we discussed the different stereotypes of men. There are four things that we need to know about men that's really inherent in our nature that we should be aware of to overcome in order to be able to be men of God. First is, we're rebellious by nature. As you can see by the stats, just about all major crimes are committed by men. 95% of burglaries, 90% of violent crimes, 94% of drunk driving, and 91% of crime against family and children. So we see that we have this rebellious nature. I think in general we see that you know, the girls are getting baptized younger than the guys are. There are other issues involved in our lives that keep us from serving God because we are naturally rebellious. Uh, next slide. We are bored by the average decent life. What do you think that means? What does that mean to you? What? Okay, more of what? Such as? Okay. Who here gets bored by going to school every day and going to church every Sunday? Okay. All right, <laughs> school first, then we can do church. Um, why is that? Okay, no one likes math at school. So we can say we all probably want more adventure in our life, for more to do in our lives, aside from just everyday routines. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Okay. So find what your passion is. Find what God wants you to do, and then it shouldn't be boring. And if you're serving God, you can do a lot of things that are pretty good adventures. You know, mission trips, building churches. You can do a lot of things just by serving God, which can take you out of the everyday routine. Even if you're still living in America or Canada and going to church every Sunday and going to school every day, if you're living for God and if you're focusing on what He is planning for you, it can still be an adventure. And the next slide. Just to get your attention, this is the major thing that prevents us from being men of God. Next slide. More specifically, there are two issues that men have to be aware of and really overcome. That we are created to have a strong and a regular sex drive. Now, I said created, which seems kind of like we're blaming God for that. What do you think about that? Are we created to have a strong, regular sex drive, or is it just something that, that comes up in our lives? Okay. Is it God's fault? Or can we blame God? Okay. Then the second one, probably even more difficult to overcome, aside from just having you know strong regular sex drive that we have to deal with, is that we can receive sexual gratification through just looking at things, and that is different from different from girls, and it's something that we as men really have a struggle with. I mean, who here agrees with that? Okay. How then, if we can even receive sexual gratification, if we can lust just by looking at things, how can we get past that? How can we be godly men? What was that? Okay, we can blind ourselves. That's one way of doing it. Any more realistic ways or practical ways of doing that? Monasteries also work, I guess. But well, if you ask God to control, He will. Okay. That's the dangerous statement you just made there. <laughs> so we can make comments and admire, but where do you draw the line? I think the mindset and, and the heart has to be changed before you go to the beach. Okay, what do you expand on that? Well, I think, I think if, if you're not really, well, if you ask God to make you not obsessed mm -hmm. with girls, okay. and you focus your mind throughout your daily life on the things that men should be focusing their minds on, your heart with those things that men should fill their hearts with, this um, resisting this temptation is going to become something that doesn't involve, okay, I've seen this, now I need to mm. this out. It's going to become something that comes more naturally. So change your heart before the temptation comes? Okay. Yep. you got to ask yourself, why am I going there? Okay. Okay. Yeah. I feel like a lot of it has to do with self-control too. Like, 
Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Okay. Any other thoughts on that? I think we covered the basic issues. You know, it can seem very difficult to overcome, and it's so easy to look, and there's always something to look at, no matter where you go, beach or city or you know, wherever you are, it doesn't have to be a place. But there are a lot of girls, you can still see things that distract you and really pull you away from God. I think the key is, I mean, having the right heart and either not going to places where you definitely know there will be things to distract you, and if you are in a place where there are things that are distracting you, you know, look away. It's a pretty easy, pretty easy uh, concept. Not always easy to put into practice, but you know, if we can receive the sexual gratification through just looking, don't look at it. You know, if you glance and you know there's lust coming, look away. And I think that is. I mean, it's difficult. It can be done. God knows that we can do it because He'll give us the strength to do it. And, you know, we need to remember, God said, just looking at a woman lustfully is adultery with her. So, I mean, God has some pretty high standards about how we're looking at girls and what we're thinking and how we are acting. Yeah. And so those are the, the four concepts we should be aware of in terms of how we are as men naturally. Rebellious, we can be bored by the, the decent average life strong regular sex drive, and just being able to receive sexual gratification and to really feed our lust just from our eyes. And so we should keep those four concepts in mind and really keep them in check so that we can become um, men of God that truly have a heart for God. And that is what Jason will be telling us about. So if I go over a little bit, it's not too bad. <laughs> okay. At this point, if you have a verse on your piece of paper and you haven't looked it up yet, get it ready. Because um, we're going to, we got, well, if you want to eat on time, we got about 25 minutes left. Um, okay. So... When I was trying to figure out what, what to tell you guys, I immediately thought of one person who I felt would be a good person to study to find out how to be a man after God's heart. Who do you think that was? Jesus. I told you what it was. <laughs> you were supposed to say David, and I was supposed to say no. It was supposed to be kind of funny. <laughs> Thank you. No. <laughs> Hit the slide, please. The first person I thought of was Jesus, because in my mind, what better person to study to find out how God thinks than God? So I started reading, and I came up with some stuff that I found in Christ's character that I thought would be good to look at. And these are just a few of the things. Um, we have, first of all, Christ being a servant. Whoever has that verse, please read it. Someone's got it. I hope. John 13, 4 through 8. Read it loud.
Thank you. All right, here's how this usually worked. People walked around in sandals. I bet they didn't have as much cover as mine do. Um, might have been more something like a pair of flip-flops. So you're walking in dirt. You're walking in all kinds of junk. I'm, I'm not going to go into detail about what might have been on your feet, but given the animals in the area, you might figure it out. And Jesus is washing these people's feet. This is God, and these people know that Jesus is God. And Jesus puts a towel around his waist, grabs a bowl of water, and starts washing these people's feet. These people happen to be his disciples. Um, do you think that if you went up to President Bush's house, or uh, um, whoever the Canadian leaders are, um, <laughs> someone in there, if you went to their house, do you think that they would get a bowl out and start washing your feet? And now you got shoes on, so your feet are kind of cleaner. They don't have feces on them. Um, I said it. <laughs> My point is that Christ even said, he didn't say, no, no I'm just going to wash your feet because they're dirty. He said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Christ was abasing himself as God. I mean, let alone the fact that he came as just a, a simple baby born in a manger. Uh, there are just countless examples of Christ being a servant, all the while knowing that he is Almighty God. Um, so I think that's a pretty big one. We also know that Christ was humble. Um, his, his stature Stature was humble. He didn't make a big show everywhere he went. In fact, in the Scriptures, when crowds would come, sometimes he would leave because he didn't want to, I don't know, didn't want to make a big deal about stuff. Sometimes he would pass through crowds and no one would even know he was there. Um, but at the same time, Jesus was also firm. So whoever has that verse in John 2, please Okay, how many times can you recall in Scripture Jesus getting mad and just going off, flying off the handle? JC says once. I don't think he ever flew off the handle. When I, after I said that, I realized I probably didn't have to say flew off the handle, but yeah. Right. Okay. And what was the situation at this point when he did this? Anyone? All right. Yeah. This was when Christ went to the temple and saw the merchants and the temple and got mad because they were cheating people. Um, and he, I guess you could call it righteous indignation, maybe. But this is the only time that I, I recall... Christ getting angry like that, but um, he was firm. He didn't, he didn't let them walk over him. This was his temple. People were coming here to worship his father, and he wouldn't stand for that, for this mockery. Um, we also know that Christ was a leader. He led at least 12 people most of the time. He had at times probably many more than that. Um, we know that he spent a lot of time in the temple teaching the people who were there. In fact, the people who had studied the scripture all the time, Jesus was in there reading and teaching them. A lot of those 
folks didn't like it either. Christ was also very kind. Um, we heard this morning about, about the children, how his disciples were mad that people, were, or that people wanted to bring their kids to Christ. And Christ said, let me be with these little children. Christ was honest. Obviously, he never lied. He, he didn't sin, so he was always honest. He was also very wise. It kind of helps that he created everything so he knew what he was talking about, but he always knew what to say. He always knew the right things. And through Scripture, we can see that he was always in tune with the Father. The only time that he was never, the only time he was not directly connected to the Father was when he had our sin on his shoulders. That was the only time that God could not be part with Christ because God could not touch that. Next slide. However, Christ being God, that, that leaves maybe even a mental, um, a mental break. How can I even be like Christ? Well, everyone knows that David was a man after God's heart. It says it in, in Samuel. Um, so there are two things that I really liked about David. One is these passages in 1 Samuel. It's kind of disjointed, but I figured it wouldn't take as long to read. So whoever has 1 Samuel 17... Okay. How far was that to? Was that to 33? Um, I'll expand on that real quick. The Philistines were there, ready to attack Israel. Saul wanted someone who could go and fight them. No one was showing up. David was a small guy. Um, He was a kid at this time, too. I don't know how old, but he was young. So he goes up to the king and says, I'm going to have to fight this Philistine. Um... And I think at 36, he starts going to Goliath. 36 might even be Goliath talking to him. 36 and 37. David is saying to Saul, I killed a lion and a bear with my hands. These Philistines are profaning God. God will help me fight them. Um, And then pick up at 43 and read it through 47.
All right, thank you. Um, what I absolutely love about this section of scripture is the end of that. Because David says to this giant, who was, I think measurements made him about nine feet tall or something like that. David was probably not even six feet tall. He said, he said in there, um, I think he said, I will come to you in the name of the Lord of, of hosts or something like that. But at the end, he said, man did not win this war. You will see that you come to me with weapons, but I come to you in the name of the Lord and he will have the victory today. And I want to encourage you guys to go read that again. Um, it was uh, it, kind of hard to hear a lot, of, a lot of your comments across the room because of the acoustics, but I, did, I would really encourage you guys to go read that chapter in 1 Samuel because that to me describes the kind of attitude we need to have as we go out in this world. Um, we're going to talk a little bit later about a fighting spirit. I have a couple more verses, but the way that we can even do that is by the power of God. Um, and the only other thing that I could find that David could add to that list that we had for Christ was repentance. Christ never had to repent for anything. David did. So someone please read Psalm 51, 10 through 13. As soon as you hear it, you'll know it. Thanks. Create in me a clean heart, O God. David, David was one of these guys who, um, well, first of all, he couldn't, he couldn't work on the temple because he was a warring king. But David always sought God's heart. Even when David fell into gross sin, he was able to, to turn him, to, to see that he was going down the wrong path. And he cried out to God for forgiveness. He repented before God for these things that he did. And God still was able to call David a man after my own heart. Okay. The first thing I noticed about people who followed Christ was they just did it. Um, Matthew 4, 19-20. And, and they straightway left their nets and followed him. This was their livelihood. Without that, they wouldn't have any money. This guy comes up to them and says, I'll make you fishers of men, follow me. And they did. That's what God asks of us. We have to ask ourselves, what is important in our lives? Is it our school? Is it our job? Is it a girl? Is it my car? Whatever it is, find out what's important to you and compare that to how important to you God is. Because if it falls... If God comes below that, there's a problem. That thing becomes an idol to you. It's about priorities and finding out where God fits in our lives and then adjusting our lives to make sure that God comes first. Okay, so we talked before about what a man was and what a real man was. Now we want to talk about what a godly man is. As Christ is, a godly man is a leader. And leading is not about... I am standing up here leading you guys and I get to tell you what to do. That's not my job as a leader. My job as a spiritual leader to you is to guide you in the way that God wants you to go. It's not even about me. It's about your relationship with God. Someone read first, uh, Titus 1.9. 
Okay. What was the first part of that? Read the first couple lines again. Or you can read the whole thing, but read a little louder. After he closed his Bible and lost it. Okay. Holding fast to the faithful word that you've been taught so that you can convince those who say things against it. Um, and, and bringing up others along that, that need to know Christ. But a good leader is also a servant. We talked about Christ a little bit. Philippians 2, 7, and 8. There are a bunch of things in there. He could have been a powerful leader on earth, like an earthly king. He came in the form of a servant, and he was obedient. We'll talk about that later. Obedient to the point that he died. And all I can think about is, um, is the inspiration hour last night. That in the garden, the the illustration was, was really nice. In the garden, when Christ needed strength, what might the angel have said? Maybe the angel said, you're doing this for JC. Or you're doing this for Daniel. He was obedient to death. Go ahead. Okay. A godly man is also accountable to people and is able to disciple others. That kind of works a couple ways. For one, we cannot go through life on our own. Um, let's read Ecclesiastes 4 9 and 10. Okay, it talks about if one person falls, someone else can help lift him back up. There's more in that verse, and I want you to read that later. Um, But you have to have some type of accountability. Um, If if you're able to confess, let's say you you have an accountability partner, if you will, and you confess things to that person that you wouldn't confess to anyone else, that person can help you in your walk because they can check up on you occasionally. They're the only ones who know this secret that you have, that you're struggling with. They can ask you how you're doing, and they can pray for you. I think that's really important for us to have. Um, it's important for us to seek counsel. Proverbs 12, 15. Come on. Oh, maybe I wrote it wrong. I think. Okay, it said that the way the fool is um, something. Is, okay, the way the fool is right in his own eyes, but the person who seeks counsel is wise. It rhymes too. And also, we're ambassadors for Christ. We are supposed to bring other people up. Second Corinthians five talks about. Uh, we are, we've been given this gift and it's our job to then offer that gift to other people so we can bring them along. And the, the only reason we're not reading it is because we're running out of time. So, cool. 
Um, okay, I mentioned this about David. Godly man speaks with boldness. Um, 2 Timothy 1.8. Quick. Okay. Paul writing to Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel according to the power of God. Those are the two things in that verse that I like the most. Where does our power come from? Acts 9, 29. Okay, that was just an example of um, Paul being able to speak with boldness and his power came from Christ. A godly man has a fighting spirit. We talked about that before. I want this to be in your minds too. Ephesians 6, 10, and 11. Okay, it's like David said to Goliath, the power does not come from weapons of destruction or whatever. The power comes from God. Put on the armor of God and you'll be able to stand against Satan. And First uh, Timothy 1, 18 and 19 is an exhortation to us. Read it, please. Okay, it says to, to fight a good fight, having a good conscience. Okay. A godly man is humble and teachable. Um, this is a really important one that I think might be lacking in some of our lives. Uh, we're guys. We think we know everything. Um, we don't. So we need to realize that we need to have humility and we need to be teachable. Um, I want to read Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Okay, think about that next time you don't like something you hear at church. You don't like the way the elders are doing something. You don't like the way the minister said this or that. The verse says to, to be obedient to those who have authority over you because they are watching for your souls. And that their, their place in, in the relationship between, around God's children is to guide you and you want them to be able to do that with joy. And you don't want to cause them to have a lot of pain. It's in the scripture. It's not coming out of me. Um, read the two verses in Timothy. I'm going fast because I got like ten more slides. Thanks. That verse tells us what we should be following after, what we should be studying. Next. A godly man is totally committed. How much is required to follow Christ? Okay. Who has Mark 10, 18-21?
the rich young ruler, um, he was a good kid. He, he obeyed all the commandments. Jesus told him to do one simple thing. That's how he'd be able to follow him. And it's important to note that this young man, when all that was required of him was to straighten out his priorities, to sell what he had and follow Christ, he went away sad. He didn't like what he heard. Um, that is not the attitude that God wants. And in fact, if you go away sad after finding out what Christ requires of you, I would start asking for, for the grace to be able to not be sad about that. And, uh, and Luke 9 tells us to, to take... Someone read it. I think it's an important one to read. you guys to go home and read that and study that verse or those those verses that's coming straight out of Christ's mouth that's what's required that's how much commitment we need a godly man is obedient to God John 15 4 and 5 Thank you. Um, the next one we have is being obedient to worldly masters. Ephesians 6, 5 and 7. Or 5, 2, 7. Okay. Serve... Do whatever you do in your life as if you're doing it for God. Because if you're a believer, you are. That's what you're here for. When you do that, God can use you in your situations to draw other people to Him. Next slide. A godly man is spiritually minded. We were talking earlier about what our carnal minds want to think about. Well, here's how we can stop thinking about those things. Um, I think if we spend more time focusing on what God has for us, we don't have as much time to focus on the other things that cause our distractions. First Peter, Second Peter, three, eleven, and twelve. Okay. Basically, says that everything on this earth is going to burn. We should stop paying attention to these things. We should focus on God. Being an example, 1 Timothy 4, 12 to 16.
um, Paul is exhorting Timothy to be an example to everyone who follows him. And Timothy was a young guy. I'm not sure how old he was either, but he wasn't well stricken in years as the scripture has sometimes. He was young, um, but Paul still said, be an example to people. There's a lot of stuff in those four verses that, that we can read and, and figure out how to, or what to think about. And 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-5. And that, that abstinence isn't, um, isn't the sexual abstinence in, that you hear about in school. That's just abstaining from, from all kinds of immoralities and sin in your life. I have four more slides. A godly man respects his parents. Apparently the girls think you do. So I still have these verses anyways. Exodus 20.12 is the, the verse in the commandments, honor your father and mother. Proverbs 30.17 Pay attention to these next two verses. They're interesting. Don't obey your father, and birds will eat you. That's what it says. It's something like that. It'll, um, it, it, I was shocked when I read it. I was like, whoa. All right, Matthew 15.4. Okay. This, yeah. Yeah. So obviously, God asks us to respect our parents, and it, we can only, in order to be godly men, we have to be able to do that. Also, there are some guidelines for respecting your church family too. First Timothy five one through three. Um, go ahead. Yeah, thank you for that comment. Um, that's, that's something that I only realized not that long ago. I'm 26, and it took me a long time to realize that. Um, and and I, before Eric said that, I was going to point out that the Scripture says, treat the, the girls in church as if they're your sisters. So think about how you treat your sister if you have one, and compare it. <laughs> Don't go beating them up, though. <laughs> Okay, a godly man communicates with the Father. First um, Timothy 2, 1 and 2. Okay, it talks about prayer. Um, I, I like that verse because it says to pray for those who are in authority over you. Um, pray for, you know, in our case, pray for our government leaders, pray for our parents, our teachers, everybody. Um, godly man also reads his word. I think we heard that last night too. Did we? 
At some point today, or last night, I heard someone say that if we're not, I might have been in a conversation, if we're not into the Word, we are not following Christ. It was at breakfast, I remember now. Um, Psalm 119, 9 to 11. Okay. There are two things in there that are good. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. But also, um, how, how can a young man keep his way pure? It's by, by knowing the word, by following what it says. Um, 2 Timothy 2, 15 and 16. Okay, study the word to show yourself approved. Alrighty, I guess so. Okay, a godly man is mature. Now, I don't expect all of you guys in here to be as mature as me, because I'm 13 years older than some of you. You're supposed to laugh at that. Oh, well. (laughs) Thank you. Um, The scripture tells us, though, to be sober, to be sober-minded. That doesn't mean to not be um, drunk with alcohol. It means to have... To have our wits about us, I guess. I mean, we can say that. Titus 2, 6 through 8 and 12. Young men, likewise, exhort to be sober-minded. In all things, shewing thyself a pattern of good works, and doctrine shewing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that is, of the contrary, is part that may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, Okay, and one of the things that verse says is that by thinking the right way and carrying ourselves appropriately, people can't say anything bad against us. I like that. I'm going to repeat it too in case you didn't hear. He said that he's always taken being sober-minded to be taking things of spiritual matters seriously. You don't have to be, you know, straight-faced all the time. People like to have a good time. But when it comes to things that are spiritual, think about them seriously and consider them. And uh, finally, this is a great verse about avoiding things that we've discussed earlier. Distra- any distraction, really. Flee. Second Timothy two twenty two. We also youthful us, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Okay. And whatever those youthful lusts are for you, flee them. Run away from them. Um, it doesn't say, well, maybe if I don't act on them, then it'll be okay. It turn around and run the other direction. Um, in closing, I just wanted to point out that. Everything that I've brought to you today and Matt has come from Scripture. Um, if you still feel like you can't do these things or um, that you don't know the whole picture, everything you need is in the Bible. I wish I could stand up here and give you everything you need to send you out into the world to be these valiant men of God that everyone 
can see from a distance and say, that is a man of God. And that people would just flock to you to learn the truths about God. But I can't do that. But everything you need is in the Bible. And I just I want to offer that to you. Um, go home and read these verses again. Um, someone, whoever has 1 John 2, 13 and 14, please read it. Okay. Um, these, these were an exhortation. Um, the, the good thing about these, these young people was that they're following God. Um, the last one says, you're strong and you're following after what God says or something along those lines. Um, the point with all of this is that if your focus is on Christ, then you won't have that difficult of a time being a godly man. Um, and if you're going to be a Christian, I, I don't want any of you guys just to, to be a Christian and that's it. I want you all to live vibrant lives as believers in Christ because this is an exciting life. This is a life that's filled with adventure. Um, and, and not even thinking about the things that we'll get later. Um, Christianity isn't about getting stuff. But... There's so many things about God that we don't even know that if we took the time to find those things out, I just, I can't even express the kinds of things that I think I would find if I only took the time to look. The kind of, the kind of godly man I could be if I took that time. So, um, in Lamentations it says, it's good for a person to follow after Christ, or follow after God in their youth. So I want to encourage that to you guys right now. Um, those of you that may have made a commitment this week to following Christ, carry through with it. There's always going to be something else that will keep you distracted. Satan's really good at keeping us busy at doing nothing. And if you, if you feel a nudge in your heart to follow Christ, do it. Don't wait until later. Um, if you already are a believer, you've walked with Christ for a little bit of time, see how much deeper you can go. There's always something else that we can learn, and there's always something else that Christ will show us. And I think that is how, that's really how we can increase our spirituality. That's how we can be closer to God. That's it. Yes, you got it. <laughs> oh, wait.